Hello and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly discussion of culture, news, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most astonishing metropolitan area between Omaha and Salt Lake. This week, November 8th, you've heard all the other election roundups, but you haven't heard ours. Also, the sociology behind unfriending on Facebook and is Colorado poised to be the next mecca of gourmet coffee or is this just a lot of steam over an $11 espresso? With me in the studio are Jared Jakang Mayer of FaceTheState.com and Joel Warner, staff writer for Westward. I am John Dicker, washed-up author and journalist. All right, post-election, what the hell happened or didn't happen in Colorado? We were not exactly part of this so-called Tea Party slash Republican wave. Jared. I think it just goes to show you that Colorado, um, for the past, at least the past two election cycles and, and probably into the future, will be a national anomaly, which is kind of exciting because it means that you can't really predict how Colorado is going to turn because of our large amount of independence in the state and other wacky things that have um, slipped into into the process, like Tom Tancredo and Dan Mays and the entire insanity that happened with the governor's race. Yeah, uh, we, you have a clip of of Dan Mays. Do you want? Should we listen to that? Well, I have a clip. I was uh, I have a clip of Tom Tancredo because he his election night party was at the Stampede. Have you ever you guys ever been there? Negative. Unfortunately, no. It's like this uh, slightly upscale version of the Grizzly Rose, one of these massive country western bars where you go and the dance floor is actually shaped like an oval, so people do like dancing in this crazy circle so you to get to the bar which, which is, is how like, i like to, to do all my dancing is in, a in, a, in a crazy circle and so to get to the bar you have to cross across lanes of traffic of these people dancing so it's kind of like frogger but anyway i digress uh tante credo had his election night uh party there and here he is conceding after it became obvious that he wasn't get, gonna get anywhere near john hickenlooper okay. and i'm i apologize I apologize to you for not being able to carry it to the finish line, but pundits will be talking about this for a long time, I'm sure, um, trying to figure out exactly what happened. I, we will be talking about it ourselves for a while because certainly we uh, expected a little bit of a different outcome here, but this is it is the way it is. So there was uh, Tom Tancredo. Uh, giving up the race, conceding it to John Hickenlooper. And Dan Mays, uh, by no coincidence, wasn't at the actual uh, GOP, uh, Colorado GOP party at the Tech Center. He was down in Colorado Springs, surrounded by his three remaining supporters, no doubt. <laughs> Just talking about the governor's race, I have to say I, I thoroughly enjoyed the entirety of the Colorado governor's race this year. I think mostly because the stakes were just so ridiculous the entire way through. I think it, it was a much more realistic symbol of what politics has become. Usually, you know, people have these big concepts of what they do what these kind of political races are all about but like literally you know it's all just this kind of masturbatory highfalutin bullshit and i feel like this year i think everyone other than dan mays realized that the color governor's race was just a complete joke well i mean tom tancredo to his credit was probably the only person who came out of this not politically damaged i you know he he somehow slipped his way into this governor's race and, uh, you know, made a really good show of it for being Tom Tancredo and also running under the auspices of the American Constitution Party, which is this paleoconservative political party, which before Tom Tancredo came around, barely 
even had candidates, let alone a statewide profile. So, and did you see his shirt that he was wearing on election night? It was a pretty sweet shirt. Well, what was it? It was just like a black, like Western shirt with like the white kind of thread, like highlights. I mean, even Hickenlooper didn't come off that great. I mean, the very fact that a lot of people were looking at that race so closely. With all the Republican fuck-ups. You know, I don't think Hickelberg kind of came off as this kind of, you know, shining champion. Well, and this is why in Colorado it was really evident that it was different than what was happening nationally where you had the conservatives and the Tea Party just kind of slaughter uh, the Democrats, especially in the House nationally. Here in Colorado you didn't. You didn't see that. And uh, there is a lot of finger pointing among Republicans uh, in the state now looking at things like, you know, certainly uh, Ken Buck, whether or not he ultimately, in retrospect, wasn't as good of a candidate as probably Jane Norton would have been. And he was a Tea Party candidate. And how much of that is the fault of the campaign to allow themselves to be painted as a whack job as opposed to being able to do effective damage control that went beyond what I think their damage control was, which was don't have Ken Buck talk in public that much because he really limited his campaign appearances in the last you know month a month of campaigning. I, I I think that it was it was probably two parts. It was probably uh, a campaign that wasn't as well disciplined, and also a candidate who was prone to gaffes. And by you know the biggest gifts that he gave his Democratic opponents was these was these statements about um, about women. And about, uh, you know, they, they were very successfully able to, to ding him on the abortion thing and this this rape case, which ultimately didn't really have that much to do with any current political issue. But in the in the last weeks and especially in the remaining days, how the Democrats were able to pretty much put the fear of God into uh, especially female voters about Ken Buck painting him as this, you know, Ken Buck is going to take away your your uh, reproductive rights and things like that and just that panic that they put in um, their Democratic constituency just to get them to the polls was probably the one of the few remaining things that, that barely pushed them over the line. Yeah. But still, I'm still really confused by the fact that, that Bennett won the race. I mean, even, you know, even this like last minute kind of push by the Democrats, it just it didn't seem like they they put together that good a race. I mean, I mean, it seemed like they gathered some momentum was in it, spite it, of themselves. It wasn't because of these really kind of well, they, they smart won, efforts. They won Democrats. because, and this was true with <laughs> a lot of Democratic candidates, they won because, not on their own merits, but because people were so scared of the other guy. See Nevada angle read <laughs> as an example, right? So, what, so one question that I still have about this election is this. Is this more of a demonstration that Colorado is becoming more purple? As they've been saying with that series, that, you know, it's less a red state and more and more a blue state? Or is it just kind of the happenstance of some really strange fuck-ups that happened this year? Yeah, with the, with, the Republican, the with the Republican governor's race and with the, to some degree with the Senate, yeah. had they had sort of competent, even somewhat bland, middle-of-the-road, less uh, tarnishable candidates, they probably would have taken the governorship and they would have taken the Senate. For, uh, almost certainly. Am I wrong? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if Tancredo could have gotten that close to Hickenlooper and Bennett got, or I mean, uh, Buck got that close to Bennett, if they would have had different candidates, it, it's really hard to imagine how the Republicans wouldn't have won those seats. To, to go with your question, Joel, I think that it this last midterm was absolutely a demonstration that Colorado is a purple state, especially when you look at, you know, what actually managed to go through and what didn't. You know, yeah, we... Um, 
people like uh, uh, Betsy Markey uh, lost, uh, John Salazar lost. Uh, there were there were other a number of other rep- Republican gains, but those gains. Uh, those were just gains that Republicans probably should have had anyway. Yeah, right? it wasn't like, a big, big surprise. You know, Salazar, I think, was a bit of a bigger surprise. You know, Markey, I mean, I mean, come on, that was a that was a still a pretty red kind of territory absolutely. that Markey this, this, won this to begin dist- with. This is a district that had elected and reelected uh, Marilyn Musgrave for, <laughs> and who was the most conservative person in the Bush era in, in the House of Representatives on the entire planet. So the fact that that very fact just went to show you that probably. Betsy Markey shouldn't have held that seat to begin with because it, it was so to the right. But then, you know, so you look at these Republican gains, but then you also look at things like the anti-tax ballot measures. Those didn't go anywhere. The anti uh, the person yeah. measure the didn't go anywhere. Anti-health care, the exempting from uh, Obamacare that 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 didn't win or that didn't go down by a huge margin, but it went down. Uh, and then most states, I mean, most uh, most cities and counties around the state actually voted against medical marijuana. You know the base of voters. Yeah. So yeah, I mean there was this mixture. So in my book, I think it's something that we should be psyched about the fact that yeah, that Colorado suddenly it continues to be this kind of fascinating political place that the rest of the country will continue to watch. Where like usually we are still flyover zone in most you know you know most subjects politically. It seems like things are going to be happening still in Colorado. Well, we still only have nine electoral votes. Not to not to pee on your parade there, Joel. Yeah. Well, I think that w- we threw this question out on the Facebook page about, particularly about the Bunnett, uh, Bunnett, Buck and <laughs> Bennett uh, race, and I, I think our listeners had some pretty good analysis that sums it up pretty well. Russ Esposito said, didn't he lose because he didn't wear high heels? I thought that was his thing. The Midwest is the most fucked right now. I have a feeling they'll just switch party sides every two years until they get the help they need. And Robin Keith said, quote, while I agree that Bennett is no superstar, I think Buck is. In fact, every bit as crazy as the other spectacle teabaggers. Buck lost because we were motivated as voters to defeat him. It is the only reason I voted for Bennett. Well, you know, that is not a very ringing endorsement <laughs> of the Democrats. Go Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. L- speaking of Facebook, let's move on to our second topic. This uh, study that was published or that, that was done by uh, two people at the business school at the University of Colorado, Denver, Christopher Sabona and Steve Walsack. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I bet I am. It basically, it found, <laughs> surprise, surprise, that people unfriend because of frequency or if, you com- if your comments are pointed about religion and politics and or they're too banal or too frequent. That's what the subject of unfriending. Joel, why don't you? I know you have something to say about this. Yeah, I didn't find the findings of this, you know, all that, all that amazing, all this, uh, you know, all this ground shaking. For me, it was more about kind of the fascinating concept that there is now this entirely new social interaction that's that's that sociologists have to study, and it's so just out there in the wide open. I mean, people's willingness and need to share literally. Every single part of their like daily lives has given like social scientists this amazing new petri dish, you know, to get into like the deepest, most private parts of people's lives because we cannot help but sharing about the stupidest things possible. And and Facebook collects that data. I mean, presumably, there's all sorts of numbers that Facebook could could crunch about unfriending and how often it happens, and you know, happen do our men between the ages of 23 and 32, more likely to, unfri- you know, you could just go crazy. And to- people get so fired up over 
of all these privacy issues with Facebook. But what people seem to forget is that they don't have to be putting this stuff on Facebook to begin with. <laughs> oh, right. God. I, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I read this uh, read this study with interest because I just can't believe that Facebook has uh, worked its way into the human consciousness to such a degree that now we spend hours and hours and hours fretting about these new types of social faux pas of unfriending people and what is the correct social context in which to do it. And also, I find it amazing, people that are my quote-unquote friends on Facebook, how much they will overshare about themselves. That, that, that's one uh, wasn't included in the study as, as an indi- indicator of uh, why people will unfriend, but that is one re- reason why I've deleted people is because I'm like, I, I don't even know who you are. You are barely an acquaintance, and you are sharing these completely and totally personal things that maybe you should be talking with to your priest or to your therapist, <laughs> but don't be putting it out on Facebook. Like what? Oh my God! This 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 one guy who runs a, a literary magazine out of California and uses his Facebook page to kind of promote it. He made this post the other day, and I and I had noted this to my wife because I'm like, what was he drunk? But it was this thing about how he drinks too much and smokes too much and he doesn't spend enough time with his son and how he uh, uses his ambition as a crutch and a, and a shield to keep him away from having any real connection with other human beings. Like, that was his okay. post. Okay, and, then, and, 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 and note that the comments, zero. Like it, it, was like, it was like the guy at the party who, like, shares too much and, and, and just, just no one silence. has any, anything else to say. That is, Awkward this silence is, this in is cyberspace. the internet equivalent of that. <laughs> So 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 is that someone who you unfriended? So you unfriend now, uh, John? Do you unfriend? And hell why? yeah! Uh, hell yeah! I unfriend. Uh, I'll give you an example of, and this would confirm to this uh, conform to the study. But someone who I have not seen or wasn't that even really good friends with in high school sends me and all his other friends this uh, right wing Christianist propaganda video about this one uh, this this militantly secular Berkeley professor. It's always Berkeley. Um, who was just art, you know, challenging anyone of his, you know, 200 or 300, uh, students to, to refute, uh, evolution. And this one kid, you know, he's like, this one student boldly stands up and it was just so just to watch that and buy into the sophistry behind the logic. Um, I'll try to find it. I bet I can find it yeah, and I'll post that. it. Uh, it, it pissed me off so much. And I did think about saying, you know, emailing him or Facebook emailing him and saying, why did you send this to me? But I thought... He just used this, the evangelical type that he is, he would use this as a, an opportunity to dialogue about Christ with me. So fuck that. I just wow. un- unfriended him. I like that. I like and, the fury. And then uh, more bana- people who don't piss me off, but people who are just, I just don't want you in my periphery anymore. And I didn't, uh, you know, you requested to be my friend. And I just, for whatever reason, you have baggage with me. You know, there's certain <laughs> people from high school. I don't want you in my in my rear view mirror. Even, uh, so why do you friend those people to begin with? You didn't have to friend them. Uh, I'll be honest, because sometimes if you, you can't access their profile and you're you're kind of curious, yeah. So you friend oh, them. Oh, you clearly want to look at all their photos. Look, look at their photos, see who their friends are, see what they're doing. But then, I, if, but then if you don't accept their friend request and they sort of stay in there, and I've done that before. Oh, it's yeah. like you know, my elderly uncle in Hawaii somehow got. <laughs> he's like. 89 years old and somehow he's on Facebook and he wants to be my Facebook oh, friend so and, I, and, I, and I try to ignore it. You know, maybe he, you know, maybe he's old. He doesn't understand what's, what's going on, but he, his face, every time I go in there, it's like staring at me. Like, why haven't you been the my friend? The guilt there. And, just... and this is one reason why I actually have begun to like using Twitter a lot more because in Twitter you can just follow somebody 
or unfollow somebody, right? And there isn't this uh, social expectation of friending, right? Yeah. I think it's almost like the, yeah, the, friend the, is a pretty is actually a pretty powerful because word. Because you unfriend somebody. If yeah. I'm gonna unfriend you, see, I don't unfriend people. Like I am too much of a pussy. You know, <laughs> I will ignore them. Or you'll hide them, right? I'll do this passive aggressive, like ignoring, like like for example, like like for some, you know, because I've written so much on medical marijuana, I end up having all these like stoners who friend me, and at first they say, "Sure, stoner, I'll be your friend," but then they keep posting about getting high on their latest fucking like, purple <laughs> Urkel. I'm like, okay, but I mean, even then, you know, for me, like the act of unfriending is just so so pregnant with this like burden. I will, you know, I'll just kind of ignore them. Well, put we, them off to the side. Well, your uh, your cowardice uh, has uh, common company on our Facebook page because we threw out this question about unfriending, and Rebecca Olgierson said, "quote Maybe it's passive aggressive, but I don't unfriend anyone. I just hide them. My hide category includes two subsections: political loudmouths and high school frenemies." Frenemies, high school frenemies. That's yeah. uh, the one thing I did find from the the article in the New York Times about this study. Had one. Of, this was from the study, but. As soon as you have a baby, you become uninteresting, noted one survey respondent. <laughs> and as a, as a new dad, you'll note that I almost freaking never post about my kid. I, I, will, post, I will post pictures because she's kind of cute, but I do not. Nothing about her, you know, sleeping schedule, <laughs> eating schedule. <laughs> but that, that, those are the types of posts that drive me like, need coffee. Like people who post that. I was that. wondering if you still even had a kid. I was just wondering if your kid like, disappeared somehow because I haven't heard about Maraden. God knows well, how long. I mean, I think that even though this does seem this brave new technological world and we're having to sort of uh, create all these new uh, do's and don'ts for common courtesy on the Internet, it just comes back to just common sense social interaction. Like the equivalent of the guy who always posts photos of his kids and talks about them incessantly on Facebook is the same guy in the office break room <laughs> that harangues you and starts showing them you photos and starts going on and on about their kids and, and people – the only difference is is that uh, people can't see the other person's reaction, right? You can't get that sense of other people are insanely bored and are rolling their eyes or want to get away from you like you would in real life. So maybe people are just like – they become like almost like autistic or something like that because you, <laughs> you, you cannot get that face-to-face -face feedback like you would in real life. I'm so fine. I have a recommendation then. Why doesn't someone create some real-world like cards that say – I'm going to unfriend you, and you can you can hand it to the guy in the break room who's like talking about your you, their you, kid too much. Joel, you need to see the South Park episode on Facebook. It's it's it, that good. It gets into all oh, this. Excellent. Yeah, I highly recommend watching that. One last note on this: I will say that I do find the I totally understand people who say, "Oh, I, I don't do Facebook," you know, because I, it's just such a distraction, or I tried it and I had to go off of it because people were finding me that I didn't want to get in touch with. But I do hate this sort of snobbery that you get where it, like. I think of it because they had Justin Timberlake, who was in the Facebook movie, so the social network was on Jon Stewart. He's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't do that. And it was just like somehow I, I just don't like this technophobia masqueraded as a virtue. It, it drives me nuts. And I find that from a little bit from people from certain quarters of the intelligentsia. I, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, so – and none of this should stop you from being uh, liking us on our Facebook page, which you can get to. So from, we can ignore you. Yeah, <laughs> from the DenverDiatribe.com. We won't unfriend you unless you're a real douche. Um, <laughs> let's move on to coffee. This is uh, Joel Warner uh, has written extensively about coffee roasters in Denver and a lot of kind of coffee politics and whatnot. So I'm going to let you – I'm just handing this off to you. 
this topic came up because recently Roast Magazine, which I guess is like the big magazine for high-end coffee. Oh, you don't need to explain what Roast Magazine is. Oh, everyone, yeah, everyone, everyone knows. That. knows. Everyone has their copy. I of read Roast it on magazine. Their, I read it on my iPhone app <laughs> for Roast. Yeah. So I mean, so I guess the recent issue they named uh, the Boulder-based uh, micro roaster Conscious Coffee as the micro roaster of the year, which I guess is like the Academy Awards for high-end coffee, which is somewhat of a big deal in that you know usually places. Like Chicago or Portland or San Francisco or New York have been seeing more of these kind of enclaves of what's called the third wave of coffee, meaning the first wave is like Folgers Instant. The second wave was Starbucks. Now we have the third wave of coffee where people talk about coffee like fine wine, like, like specifically which farms it comes from and willing to pay a lot more for fancy. Someone's making a gross gesture into their microphone. Not me. <laughs> That's all I have to say now. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I Joel, didn't mean to cut ahead. you off. You know what? John was making uh, the the blowjob face, and I'm going to defend Joel because high-end gourmet coffee is something that I – is probably the one thing that I am a total snob about. And that's this is coming from a guy who probably right after we record this is going to go to the Korean liquor store down the street and drink a, uh, a, a tall boy of Miller High Life, a fifth <laughs> of Skull Vodka, and then wash it – and use it to wash down my uh, Popeye's chicken. But I will not drink – I have really high standards for what types of coffee I'll drink. Fuck yeah. And put, go. put that up, bro- yep. brother man. That's right. Okay, so Joel, what is like a micro roaster and who are the people and like what are they actually doing in Denver? Some of the other micro roasters in town, you know, so Conscious Coffee just got the attention. A Novo Coffee, which, you know, I've written a lot about here in Denver, is another micro roaster. Kaladi Brothers, I think, would be considered a micro roaster as well. The concept is, is that it's much smaller lots of coffee beans, you know, from very specific locations, whether it's certain kind of farms in Ethiopia or Panama or whatnot, they actually pay much more attention about like where these coffees are coming from. They send people over or their middlemen go over to go and sample these lots. They bring it back. They spend a lot more time on, on calibrating different types of, of roast or whatnot and then sell to, to either high-end cafes or high-end restaurants. Yeah, Joel, and, and one of the things that interested me about your uh, story that you did on Novo Coffee and this trip that you actually went on to Ethiopia yes, along I did. with them, like a like a Indiana Jones-style adventure but way more lame, uh, <laughs> was how you know these local roasters bypass the traditional trade routes that coffee normally gets to coffee shops here. You know, normally coffee is considered a commodity – and it sort of has one base price. So when you're in some of these coffee-producing countries, it's determined by the global market, the amount of money they can get. And then they, and so for local roasters for their beans here in, to get their beans here in the United States, they don't really have any as much control over the actual quality and style of the bean. But like Novo Coffee, for example, uh, according to your story, they kind of bypass that and will go and do like a direct deal yeah. exactly with these farmers in these countries and sort of uh you know go cut out the middleman and sort of go around that entire process yeah you can make fun of a lot of kind of the third wave concept these kind of fancy like like latte art and all this stuff but one benefit is this concept that you just mentioned which is kind of referred to as direct trade which in some ways is a response to fair trade which in many ways is a big crock of shit in some ways you know fair trade's supposed to be about kind of getting these farmers you know a fair wage the problem is is that they're is that there's no incentive there for the farmers to actually improve their beans. You know, talking with farmers in Ethiopia, when I went talking with a former head of coffee export, he said, you know, the problem is, is that you can just you can just pick these beans off like from the ground. It could be like really crappy beans, and it'll be considered fair trade. 
And that's not sustainable. The incentive should be farmer. If you go and improve the beans you have here, somewhere in Ethiopia, like the birthplace of coffee, where they have all these different types of coffee that haven't even been discovered, if you do the work now, you will get you know an even better price than you would through fair trade. It's actually kind of a much more kind of direct connection between the farmer and the increasingly particular needs of the coffee drinker. Well, speaking of drinking coffee, and I, I'm all for you know striving for excellence in 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 food and 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 drink. I just personally don't have the palate. I mean, I can tell the difference between a first, second, and third wave cup of regular coffee, right? So I can obviously I, I don't drink truck stop coffee any. That is like a, that is a sure sign when you're in Hicksville when there's no it's like all of a sudden you're in non dairy creamer land. That's like damn. And you can't see a Starbucks. Yeah, but Starbucks like I don't like their. Yeah, I agree with the critique that they they're it's they call it Charbucks and I understand that. But then honestly, but if I'm drinking a latte at that point, I I'd have trouble telling the difference between between say a Starbucks latte and a Dasbog latte. I yeah I agree that you know. In some ways, to really taste the difference between like kind of second and third wave, you really have to go to kind of pure black black coffee. I and and you... I've been drinking coffee for years, and I still can't drink it black. I have to have oh. – I'd use the coconut cream. So, so, so now who's a big pussy? <laughs> what does this have to do with, with my masculinity? Okay. What are your guys' uh, favorite coffee shops in Denver? Name okay, one. this is – for me, it's really obvious. It's Novo Coffee, you know, in part because I went to freaking Ethiopia with them, and too, I like the family. Plus, they have really good coffee. Where are they? They have a shop at the Art Museum, which is probably the most the most common place to find them, as well as a lot of the fine restaurants serve Novo Coffee. John, um, mine is just purely for selfish and neighborhood reasons. Is KJ's Coffee on Twenty Fifth and Williams because they really kind of bring our my neighborhood, which is uh, Whittier, uh, represent. Uh, together, it it really feels more like a community, uh, and the two people who own it uh, are awesome. The people who work there are awesome, and it's just it, it makes the the block feel alive. And I I really have respect for them. I've really been into uh, Pablo's on Six. I never used to go there, and then I just started um, hanging out there now, and they have just awesome coffee. And I actually like the fact that they don't have Wi-Fi, right? They they just don't have Wi-Fi. There's a sign on the door that says no Wi-Fi, and you go in there and You'll see people on their laptops and stuff, but not to the degree in which you go to some laptop or some uh, coffee shops like St. Mark's, where it's just like laptop landfill. Like you yeah. feel like you're at a, um, you know, a Korean uh, video game cafe or something <laughs> like that, where just everyone's sitting in their laptops. And I'm as guilty as anyone of doing that. So I almost have found myself going to Pablo's because you uh, you're, you're unable to. You uh, want to play chess with 16 year olds? Is that it? No, there's no 16-year-olds at, at Pablo's. Oh. Just kidding. Uh, unfriended. <laughs> so unfriended. All right, let's... Uh, Ignored. <laughs> let's move on to uh, love and hate, shall we? Joel, hit it. I have some hate this week. As a reporter who likes to steal stuff, I'm often finding myself kind of copying bits of text from the newspapers and pasting into some of my, like, reporter, like, outlines. And what I'm discovering is more and more newspapers, including the Denver Post, when you copy and paste online something they will automatically include this little, like, two-sentence kind of tag at the end that says something like, you know, want to read more of this story from a Denver Post? Click on this link. It includes a link. And it is the most annoying fucking shit possible. No one copying pasting would ever find that useful. You know, yes, they're trying to exert some type of authority over their stupid text. However, there isn't one person in the type universe who wouldn't just immediately just go delete that. So it just makes, you know, it... 
it sucks away valuable seconds from my already way too busy life. Even though I assume Westward will do that. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start a Facebook cause page for your pain, Joel. Thank you, John. <laughs> uh, Jared. Okay, I'm gonna revive uh, this hate from a um, an earlier test podcast that we had did before um hate before part two and it has to do with one-way streets in denver and it was uh i was reminded of this when i was trying to cross uh santa fe boulevard right here near the studio and one-way one-way streets in denver are uh some of them are worthwhile and good but i think a lot of them could be uh, reverted back to actual two-way streets and if you would do that you would see a lot more um traffic slowing down you would see the actual businesses along those strips uh able to get more foot traffic and other business in there i think that one-way streets like i said before it's like having a highway through the middle of your of your uh business district and that's the wrong way that um denver should be going if they want to you know revitalize some of these business areas my hate uh has to do with brunch in denver you drive by places uh what's that one on South Colorado and it's on Larimer it has the one word name that I can't Toast? No, uh, not Toast, but a name like that. Snooze. Snooze. Yeah. You walk out and it's like a goddamn it's like tickets are going on sale for Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> like, there's so many people lined up and it just screams there needs to be more brunch places. I mean I I've eaten there at Snooze and I, I found it competent, but not like something that I'm willing to wait an hour and a half for. I tried to go to another overrated place. What is it called? Root Down. Yes. Um, I tried to go there on Sunday for brunch, and it was a two-hour wait. We need more brunch places, and I don't understand. I I guess I understand business-wise. It's probably a little bit harder to eke out a profit when people aren't buying you know a lot of alcohol. Um, but something has to happen, uh, and it's it's indicative of Denver's. Uh, they're not quite as big a food town. Like they're still like Watercourse is the vegetarian restaurant. It has no competition, so it kind of can get lame. And I, I, we just need more. Uh, I think if anything, John, that is really the Facebook cause page that you should be getting behind. We need more brunch places in Denver. <laughs> All right, let's get this wrapped up. We're on the web at denverdiatribe.com, where you can link to our Facebook and our Twitter feed, which is at Denver Diatribe. We will see you next week. Definitely give us your comments because we love to hear about it and we'd love to steal your ideas. Uh, for Joel and Jared Jukang Mayer, I'm John Dicker and we are out. <laughs>